Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy! Can I be honest with everyone? Uh, I wasn't very sure about sharing this uh, uh, message today. Um, and even when, when I was preparing, um, I, I was doubting, like, God, are you sure? We've uh, just learned about this topic, you know, in homes a couple of weeks back. Are you sure you want to repeat this thing again? Um, so I felt like um, this message is for me as well, um, to trust and to commit uh, to doing something that God has said to do. Um, and so thank you, Ellie, for, for uh, uh, the, the song earlier and just for your encouragement as well uh, to just commit um, and to trust God, even though sometimes it seems like, huh, are you sure, God, really? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Uh, yeah, so, so um, I will be sharing uh, a couple of stories today. Um, some from the Bible and some from my personal life. Uh, so I, I hope, um, yeah, you bear with me uh, as I, I share uh, some of the stories. Okay, so here we go. Um, uh, you know, we were talking, uh, Ellie was talking about making decisions earlier, right? Um, and so, not planned, <laughs> um, do you know that according to some studies, we make about 35,000 decisions in a day? Um, can be small decisions like thinking about, you know, even before you wake up, you're like making a decision already. Should I snooze the alarm or should I wake up? <laughs> uh, you know, what should I wear? What should I eat? Should I go to Mama Don today or should I go to Nando's? You know, um, we're always constantly making decisions. <laughs> and yeah, it's up to 35,000 decisions in a day. So when, you know, you make a decision, you make a choice, you say, yes, I want to do something it automatically means that you're saying no to a few other things that you could do. Yeah. Um, those of you that study you know, econ, you might be familiar with the term opportunity cost, the cost of you know, not doing something. So when you make a choice to do something, you have to give other things up. Yeah. yeah? Um, so yeah, let me, uh, let me just tell you a, a brief story. Um, so Gareth and I uh, wanted to go for a short like holiday before the summer ends, you know, because weather's nice. Who doesn't want to go for a holiday, right? Uh, <laughs> and going for a holiday means, you know, uh, spending money on flights, accommodations, tickets, and all of that. Um, plus, then you know, you also have to think about when to go, when's the best time, uh, blah blah blah. Um, but we've also recently uh, decided to uh, book uh, uh, tickets to Japan next year with uh, Gareth's family. Uh, and that requires planning and uh, saving ahead because, you know, it's expensive, it's a long trip, and you want to go for a long period of time. So in choosing to, to go to Japan next year, we gave up, you know, the opportunity, or we are choosing to give up the opportunity to go for a holiday this year. You know, because if we want to save, we want to prepare and plan, we can't do two things at once. And we tried. <laughs> uh, we tried to kind of make things fit. You know, maybe we go for a cheaper holiday or maybe we go, you know, a certain time, make things fit. But it really just wasn't working out because I, I also had to apply, have to start applying for my PR um, in the UK. And that means I need to take the test and you submit my documents. So the timing of everything and, and uh, we have so many different things to consider, uh, it just wasn't going to make sense. Um, so all in all, it was uh, an easy-ish decision to make. Um, I say easy-ish because I really struggle. I'm like, God, I really want to go on a break. <laughs> but, but, you know, logically and practically, it makes sense. You know, you want to save up, prepare um, for this long holiday that was coming um, 
in probably like six months' time next year. Um, so that was an, a decision that was easy-ish to make. Yeah. You know, but then my question is, what about when the de decisions uh, involve choosing between our desires, you know, our success um, versus God? You know, for example, I, th I think all of us can be very uh, can relate to to you know this situation. Uh, we might be having an exam, or you might have an important presentation or interview coming up you know, next week or tomorrow. Um, do we choose between spending that Sunday uh, with God? And, you know, with church, it takes time. You go to church, and then you want to have lunch. You want to hang out and chat. So it takes time. So do you choose to spend that Sunday morning um, in church? Or do we choose to study uh, for exams, prepare for the interview? What do we choose? You know, we all want to succeed in life. We want to do well in our exams. Who doesn't, right? You want to do well in the interview, ace that interview, get that job. Every one of us wants to do that. Um, but how do we learn to say no to certain things and say yes to God? So I'm not saying that we shouldn't study and we shouldn't prepare. You should study and you should prepare. <laughs> but I'm asking if uh, when you know, you're given that choice, that decision to make, uh, God is asking you, would you choose me or would you choose your personal desires? What would we prioritize? So, which brings me uh, to the title of uh, what I want to share today. Um, and the title is, uh, All That Glitters Is Not Gold. Um, you might be familiar or maybe not familiar with that phrase. Um, and what it's saying is that, you know, on the surface, it seems like this is really good. It's gold, it's shiny, it's great. But when you look at it more closely, it might not be uh, what it seems to be. So again, when we are faced with decisions, you know, studying for exams, it's going to help me uh, do well, I'm going to get good grades, uh, versus coming to church. Which do I choose? How do we make a choice that is not just based on outward appearances and what it looks like? So how do we do that? Um, which leads me to my first point, uh, discerning God's will. And um, I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 1. Verse 1 to 8, if uh, XCV can kindly um, put it up on the screen, and if you also have it on your Bibles, uh, feel free to turn to it. Yeah. I am reading from the CEV version, um, which I particularly liked, uh, and we'll go into why a bit later on. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 to 8, uh, we're all quite familiar with the story. It talks about uh, Daniel um, being held captive, taken captive um, into uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, kingdom in Babylon. So, uh, verse 1. In the third year that Jehoiakim was king of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked Jerusalem. The Lord let Nebuchadnezzar capture Jehoiakim and take away some of the things used in God's temple. And when the king returned to Babylonia, he put these things in the temple of his own God. One day, the king ordered Ashpenaz, his highest palace official, to choose some young men from the royal family of Judah and from other leading Jewish families. The king said they must be healthy, handsome, smart, wise, educated, and fit to serve in the royal palace. Teach them how to speak and write our language. Okay, so this bit is very important, okay? So pay attention. Uh, teach them how to speak and write our language and give them the same food and wine that I am served. 
train them for three years, and then they can become court officials. Four of the young Jews chosen were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all from the tribe of Judah. But the king's chief, chief official gave them Babylonian names. Daniel became Belteshazzar, Hananiah became Shadrach, Mishael became Meshach, and Azariah became Abednego. Daniel made up his mind to eat and drink only what God had approved for his people to eat. And he asked the king's chief official for permission not to eat the food and wine served in the royal palace. So, um, the CEV version, it says that in verse 8, Daniel made up his mind. And what does that mean? That means he made a choice. He made a decision. Uh, He made a decision not to eat the delicacies and wine that was provided by King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he said no to this glorious feast that was to be put out on the table every day and chose only to have vegetables and water. You know, even before he tasted the food, he already said no. You know, how many of us can, can do the same thing? Imagine if you were invited to a buffet, there was this glorious spread of food before you. And before even tasting, you're like, nope, not having it. Wow. Nope, I'm walking away. How many of us can say that? Wow. So you got to wonder, why? Why did Daniel do that? What were his convictions that you know, made him decide to step away from what was good, presumably good that was before him? You know, if we look back again from verse 3 to 7, which is why I said to pay attention to it, you know, you see that the king said, if I want these men to serve in my courts, but I want to be certain that, you know, they were going to be loyal and they know uh, the Babylonian ways. So the king asked for actually three things. The first one was to make sure that these men uh, knew the language and the literature. You know, learning language of a, a culture, learning the history and the, the, the literature will help them assimilate better into Babylonian culture. In modern terms, you can think of it like, you know, I ask you to learn Korean and the best way and the easiest way is, you know, go and watch a bunch of K-dramas on Netflix, right? Same thing. Do you want to learn? You want to get to know the culture a bit better? You watch. You, you, you learn from, from the movies and how they speak, how they live. That, that's basically what King Nebuchadnezzar did because he didn't have Netflix. So, <laughs> Yeah, he said, teach them. He was smart, see? Teach them the language and literature of uh, the Babylonians. That was the first thing he asked. He also asked to change their name. You know, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they had Jewish names, but the king changed them to Babylonian names. So, for example, Daniel's name, uh, which means actually God is my judge, uh, it was changed to Belshazzar, which actually means Baal will protect. So Baal is one of the many uh, Babylonian gods. Yeah. yeah, It was a way, again, to kind of change their culture, uh, to encourage them to forget their homeland, forget their god, and embrace and adopt um, the Babylonian traditions and culture. So first was he, uh, king wanted to teach them a new language. He wanted to change their name. And the last thing he wanted to do was to uh, make them eat the food that they were eating. Um, so actually, the Babylonian, uh, or doing a bit of research and digging, um, so the Babylonians uh, worship a lot of different gods and would typically offer food and drink as part of the sacrifice uh, process. And so the, the food and drink that were offered as sacrifice would then typically 
be then consumed um, by the king and, and, and the different people. So what the king wanted to do was then to give these uh, food and drink uh, to the Jewish men so that they would develop a, a dependence on the king, dependence on the Babylonian gods and, and a loyalty um, to the king as well. So you see what uh, the king was trying to do. But Daniel and his friends had very, very clear convictions. Um, you know, they say that, okay, you can change my name, fine. Um, but if you read in Daniel, uh, the rest of the passages in Daniel, Daniel, they seldom go by that name. Uh, they still go by Daniel and their Jewish names. Uh, so uh, they said that, okay, you can change my name. You can take me away from my home country, but you can't take away my faith. So that was the one line that he did not cross. Yeah. You know, Daniel knew that, you know, eating the king's food is almost similar to participating in worship uh, of the Babylonian gods yeah. and going against God's guidelines that were given to them. Yeah. And throughout the rest of the chapters later on, you see that Daniel was still faithfully serving the different kings, Babylonian kings, Persian kings, um, and he always excelled as his, at his job. You know, people like didn't know how to answer the king. You would see Daniel coming in and giving the king an answer that the king was looking for. Um, he was excellent at his job, but he never compromised on his faith. When you think about it, you think about it the king's food, you know, meat and, and wine seems to be good. They're like the best delicacies, you know, who wouldn't want it? So I guess we're taking that into our context, then when we are faced with crossroads and, and life decisions, when one thing looks so good on, on, on the outside, how do we make that choice? Can we ask ourselves this question? Does this, if I, if I take this option, which seemingly looks really good, is this going to lead me closer to God? Or is it going to distract me and take me further away from God? Maybe you're deciding between two jobs. And this one job is in a really prestigious company. It's going to pay you a lot more than what you're currently making or a lot more than what the other company is offering. But can we also pause and examine it a little bit more and ask that question? Will this job, if it's so much better, will it help me grow in my pursuit of God? and help me to depend on Him more? Or will it cause me to chase other things and depend on other things yeah. instead? Yeah. Um, maybe you're, you're considering a relationship with, with this boy or this girl. Um, have we also paused to ask this question? Will this relationship help me point others to God or will it point me away from God? Many things can sound good on the surface, you know, but we need to examine it closely against our convictions. I, can, uh, I just wanted to share another story um, that I was thinking about earlier today. Um, so Gareth and I live um, in, in this area called Whitechapel in London. Um, and over the years, because of development, you know, the price um, of the, the rent ha has gone up. And a lot of people are shocked when we tell them how much we're paying uh, for our current flat. Um, and well-meaning people ask, like, why don't you move away? You know, if you move further outside of London, you'll get a cheaper place, probably bigger, 
Um, and with the same amount that you are paying now, you could probably buy a house somewhere in Kent or I don't know where, somewhere outside, somewhere outside of London. Why, why, why are you paying so much? It just doesn't make sense, right? Um, yeah, but, but we both know that we are called to be in London, to be in a place that is central enough for people to come. And we really like hosting people and having people come, have a meal, um, have conversations, um, and, and just do life together. So that's something that we know God has called us to do. And that is our conviction that we choose not uh, to, to step away from. So that means that it limits our options. Uh, that means that you know, we can't live like two hours outside of London and travel in as and when we want um, because we know that God has called us to be here. Uh, we've chosen uh, to follow God's plan and, and, and what, what God wants us to do. So that's my, my first point, um, knowing God's plan and God's will before you make a, a decision. Like, what does God say about all of this? What does He want me to do? My second point, then, is trusting God. So first, when we're trying to make this big life decision, um, we need to examine, you know, what are our convictions? What is God's plan? What does God say about this? And then the second thing to do is to trust in God once you've heard from Him, once He's said something, uh, we need to trust. Yeah. So I have a few stories, uh, again, from the Bible to share as well, um, from both the Old and New Testament. So the first one we're going to go to is uh, Acts uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 16 to 28. It's quite funny because uh, we've been coming back to this passage. This is the third week in a row now. Uh, Pastor Kat used the same story about Paul and Silas going to prison. Pastor Dave used the same story about Paul and Silas going to prison. And I'm going to talk about that same story about Paul and Silas going to prison. So you must... Remember that uh, when God repeats himself, it must be important. <laughs> yeah, so um, this is a story of Paul and Silas going to prison. Um, and let's read. So from chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, now it happened, as we went to prayer, uh, Paul and Silas, uh, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened 
and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. So we've uh, heard this story three weeks in a row now. You kind of know the context. Paul and Silas were preaching and sharing the word of God, doing what they were called to do. But instead of being well-received, you know, they were accused uh, of causing chaos uh, in the city. They were humiliated. You know, they had their clothes ripped off. They were injured. They were beaten with rods, um, held captive, thrown in prison. And not just in prison, but it says in the inner prison, like really, really deep inside. And they were, their, their feet were put in stocks. So stocks are kind of like, like chains. Uh, it's this like plank thing that uh, secured here. So basically your legs are held in place and you can't move. So really, they, they couldn't move, they were humiliated, they were injured. But when they were in prison, they were singing and praising God, yeah. uh, despite you know, the discomfort and, and all that they were going through. How many of us can do that when, when we say yes to God and we expect like, yes, I say yes to God, God is going to see me through, and then like a series of things happen that you weren't expecting to happen. And later on, when the prison doors were miraculously opened, what did they do? They didn't run away. Yeah. They just sat there and they said, hey, we're still here. Wow. You know, everyone, I think it, it didn't really say, but I think everyone chose to stay there. You know, all the other prisoners were there as well. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Paul and Silas had to make that decision to sit there in the prison cell, even though the doors were open, yeah. instead of running away. Yeah. You know, logically, if it was me, I was put in this prison, I was wrongly accused, now the doors are open, this is my way out, I'm going, see ya. Yeah. You know, that, that is what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> and probably some of the, the prisoners were also thinking like, why are we here with this fool who is, you know, like, yeah. escape, the exit door is there. When you have the chance, why don't you go? But Paul and Silas trusted in God's plan. They must have known that God had a plan. Yeah. And they chose to remain and said yes to God. I have two more stories. Um, we looked at the New Testament. Uh, we're going into the Old Testament. Yep. Um, two more stories, this time about King David. Yep. Uh, the first one is in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1 to 7. Uh, we'll read and then I'll give you a little bit of context so you know where the story is coming from. So uh, 1 Samuel 24, verse 1 to 7. Now it happened. When Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. <laughs> <laughs> so he came to the sheepfolds by the road, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. So basically his men were encouraging him, said, Hey, this was the guy that was chasing you. Now he's, now he's here. It's your chance. Take it. Uh, and David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. 
And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, meaning Saul, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So this is the first story. Um, the second one is fairly similar. Again, you will see, uh, this is just a few chapters later, in 1 Samuel 26, verse 5 to 11. So it's the second encounter that David has with Saul. Um, so it goes, So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. So basically, David um, and his people came and saw that Saul and his army were just laying around. <laughs> then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zariah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his, his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. You see the resemblance? Again, it's like David just happened to come across Saul, or Saul happened to come across David. There was this opportunity, and, and his men, David's men were saying, this is your chance. This is the time. Let's, let's do something. So uh, Abishai said, Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth and I will not have to strike him a second time. <laughs> the, his men is saying, If you don't want to touch him, it's okay, but please, can I do it for you? <laughs> please! And David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said furthermore, As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. He's like, please don't do anything. If you really want, we can take this jug and take the spear and we can go on our way. Now, just for context um, about what's happening in this story, basically King Saul um, was the chosen king by, by, by the people. Um, and, and over time, he became, uh, he put David in place to lead his army, to lead uh, and win a lot of different battles. Um, and over time, because he was really good at leading the army and, and, and winning battles, uh, King Saul became more and more envious of, of his achievements and actually wanted to kill uh, David. So David was constantly running away from Saul. Uh, in fact, he was quite fearful for his life. So in these two um, passages that we saw, uh, David was actually running away, hiding uh, for his life. And somehow or other, he had not one but two opportunities to defeat Saul, put an end to the threat, and, and take the throne. Um, even his men you know, urged him twice, like, this is it, let's do it. God has given this man to you, this Saul to you now, he's right, at, right in front of you, just do it. Uh, but David chose not to because he feared God and he refrained his men from doing the same. 
in, in earlier chapters, and, and we'll go into, you know, what David was probably thinking um, and how he came to that decision. You know, in the earlier chapters, uh, in 1 Samuel 16, God has actually already promised that David will be king. Uh, when Samuel, you know, came to the house, uh, his dad's house, and, and said that this young, younger son, uh, he will be king. So David knew that God had already said that, that he would be king, but he didn't know when it was going to happen. When, God, when? Sometimes we're asking, God, you said this was going to happen. You said, you know, you promised me this, but when, God, when? I don't see it. So for David, at that point in time when Saul was like within his reach, he was probably really tempted to, to take action. Uh, temptation was probably really real, like, I could just do it now. And that's probably what he did. Like, in the first story, he, he cut off a little bit of uh, Saul's uh, robe. And after that, he regretted it. Uh, so the, there was probably temptation there to, to make that decision uh, to not harm Saul. You can imagine that if you, had, you have two opportunities or a couple of opportunities and to, to reach success, and it's just right there. If you just reach out your hand to get it, it's just right there. And even everyone is cheering you on saying, yeah, that's the thing you should do. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's going to give you the most money. It's going to give you the, the, the highest, uh, uh, best-sounding job title. Uh, it's just right there. How many of us would, you know, make that decision because people think it's the right thing to do based on what we think is like, yeah, this makes sense. This is logical. This is uh, our wisdom. Or would we choose to trust what God has told us and God says, no, this is not what I want you to do. I want you to go here or I want you to wait. So David chose not to take action because in his heart he knew it was not what God wanted him to do. And he said that a couple of times as well. You know, I will not do this because God has chosen Saul for this season. I will not uh, even lay a hand on this man. And his army probably thought that, you know, this guy is like a fool for letting Saul go, not once, but twice. And David could have easily won just by, you know, taking things by force. And do you know that David actually had to wait 14 more years before he actually became king? So uh, he, well, he, he was 16 when he, he had the prophecy that you are going to be king. But in that time, he had to wait 14 years before he actually became king. You know, just like Paul and Silas, who had the opportunity right there to leave, to run away when the prison doors were open, it seemed really obvious what the next steps would be. You know, kill the king, take his throne, and you become king, or run away, escape from the prison. It seems really obvious. But in both, the, both these stories, they chose to trust God's plan and stayed put. And even with Paul and Silas, we see that because, that because they stayed put, the jailer and his family all came to believe in God. Yeah. So when we say yes to God, it might be hard. It might not be a bed of roses. But just like what Pastor Dave encouraged us uh, last week, you know, when we face challenges, when we say yes to God, it's not easy. But let's choose to live righteously and cling on to our faith. And there is purpose when we're going through these challenges. And sometimes when we go against the wisdom and the conventions of, of the world, yeah. it may seem foolish. Like on the outside, people may call you a fool and say, this is so obvious, why aren't you doing this? Yeah. 
But I just wanted to encourage us with a verse um, from 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, which says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, this was written by Paul, and he's saying, it's okay, even if I am ridiculed, I, I'm, people look down on me, they think I'm, I'm silly, but I will choose to follow Christ. Because it's when I'm the weakest, it's when God will show up and show that He is the strongest. You know, God's wisdom might not always fit in with the culture or with, with our world's wisdom, but only God's wisdom lasts forever. So again, when we're trying to make decisions, could we also ask ourselves, what's more important and valuable? Is it our prestige and our reputation, which what people see? Or is it God's promises, which are eternal? Can we say no to our comforts, to the easy way, the comfortable way? Or could we say yes to God when we know that it's going to be hard and challenging? So first point was discerning God's will. And once you heard from God, you know what your convictions are. Then to trust Him, even though it may be hard, may not be easy, may not be smooth sailing, but God says to trust Him. And my third point is to commit to God. Um, and I just wanted to share a story. Uh, this is my personal story about uh, someone's commitment to God. So I was a student many years ago. Uh, <laughs> and I did the American Degree Transfer Program, which means that you do like a one or one and a half years uh, in a local university, and then you do your remaining years um, in, in an American university. So I was doing this, um, I was uh, going to do this uh, ADP, American Degree Program, um, in Nilai, which is a small town uh, in Malaysia, a little bit outside of Selangor. Uh, so I was moving from Penang to, to Nilai, and a high school friend of mine from my hometown uh, introduced me to her sister, Yvonne, uh, who actually lives in Selangor. So I was a very new Christian, fairly new Christian back then, and I was desperate to get plugged into a church because my family were not believers. Um, so I really just wanted to get plugged in somewhere, somehow. Um, and, you know, what Yvonne could have done is she could have just reached out to some local churches in Nilai and said, hey, th these are, you know, the, the contacts and these are the churches that you could go to and just left it at that. Um, but instead, she chose to come to Nilai and you can show that picture and I, I want to show you that it's true and I'm not lying. Uh, I hope you can see the map. Um, so I put the, the starting point as X Church Subang and where I was studying, which is Inti uh, Nilai, and it says it takes typically about 40 minutes to an hour and 15, depending on traffic, so on average, let's say an hour. So um, this uh, friend, uh, this friend's sister, Yvonne, she chose to drive, an, on average, about an hour from where she lives in Subang to come to Nilai to pick me up, drive another hour back to Subang just so that I can attend um, the X Subang Sunday evening, 4 p.m. campus service. Yeah. And that was where I met Pastor Dave and Pastor Nikki. <laughs> yeah, so that was what she did. And when service was over, we finished service maybe like 6, 
and then usually there's like a meal for campus students. Um, and then after that, she would pick me up, drive me back to my campus, drop me off, and then drive herself back home. So all in all, it's about like a four-hour journey. Um, and she would do that every Sunday. So talk about commitment. And she continued to do this faithfully for several years. And of course, she was joined by other faithful people as well to help her. But, you know, it's, it's four hours every week. And then when we, we started homes um, in Nilai, so that means that instead of just doing it on Sunday, you're doing it now on weekdays as well. So it's increasing your commute time. Was it easy or comfortable for her? Probably not. Was it tiring? Most definitely. <laughs> Was it expensive? Most definitely, because it's like patrol and then there's like tolls that you have to pay as well, back and forth. Was it a sacrifice? Yes. You know, but through her obedience and her commitment to do this week in, week out, we eventually saw more and more students coming with us to Ex Subang every Sunday, uh, including some international students from Botswana as well. So what started out as, you know, her car, which could fit a few people, we upgraded to a van, which could fit a little bit more, maybe about 10, 11. Uh, and then we upgraded to a bus. Yeah. And today, when, you know, when we do a pre-service prayer in the morning, you see one of them, uh, one of the church plants that we have called Ex Nilai. And today we have an Ex Nilai service. You know, we have, an ex, we have ex Nilai homes. We're a couple, not just one. Um, and we also have an ex church in Botswana. You see, all the connections that were made and all the different things that happened because of one person's obedience to commit to what God has asked her to do and has impacted so many people's lives further down um, the line. So we really don't know what God has in store for us. You know, God always tells us, just to, He shows us a little bit, this one step, and He asks, will you trust me? Will you commit to it? Even though it doesn't make sense, even though it... it it's counter to what other people will say, but will you trust me and will you commit to it? Um, and that is basically what Yvonne has done. She trusted God, she committed to it, and so many things have come out of that. So many testimonies have come out of what she has committed to do for that particular season. So I just want to um, maybe take this time to invite the worship team um, back up before I wrap up. When we make choices, we always wonder, like, how should I make this choice? Yes, we can use our wisdom and our own understanding to, and logic as well, and, and that's what God has given us. He's given us brains and ability to decide way between pros and cons. But also, maybe let's also take a step back to pause, not just think through logically, but also when we're making decisions, can we first examine and discern what is God's will for us? Should I be here? Should I leave? Should I take this job? Or should I stay where I am? And the second, once we've examined and, and heard God's plan and will for us, we then need to trust that plan, even though when it, when it doesn't make sense or we're not going to see it immediately happen. Like, David had to wait 14 years. It might not be easy, but God is asking, will you trust me? 
And the third is then to put that trust into action and commit in obedience to God's leading. Through worship, through prayer, through help from the Holy Spirit, to put that in, put that plan into action. So I, I hope that you know when we are faced with a choice that we have to make, a decision that we have to make between God and something else. I hope that we will choose God. Because God's wisdom and God's plan is so much better than than all these other plan A to Z that you know we can come up with ourselves. If you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you join me in saying this prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.actschurch.uk. God bless.